Hey, lovelies. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that I am re-releasing the hug dress and the pre-order is open right now. This dress features a corded velvet fabric, amazingly soft t-shirt lining, and fully draped front that is universally flattering and just so striking and eye-catching. The hug dress has previously been a part of the collection. I retired it for a little bit, but we are bringing it back with a long sleeve, and I'm so excited for you to have it. It is the best comforting winter dress that comes in two colors, moss and navy. The moss is this gorgeous deep green, and the navy is so vibrant. It is the perfect rich winter color. The hug dress is available in sizes extra small through 3X. The pre-order is closing when I get to my desk first thing Thursday morning, November 9th. The link is in the show notes. If it still works or if you still see the hug dress listed on impactfashionnyc.com, then you can still pre-order. Pre-ordering guarantees you get the size and color you want and allows you to shop stress-free without any launch day jitters. When it does come in, stock will be limited, so do not miss the pre-order. Pre-order the the hug dress and learn more by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzquitz, and on today's show, I sit down with the Jewish meme queen. She shares how she used humor through a challenging childhood, her thoughts on independently figuring out your own religiosity, on dating while making dating memes, and how she cultivates her own happiness and defines success. Levine and I actually overlapped in high school, and I remember her as someone funny and fun to be around. Well, the Jewish meme queen, as she is now known, is a lot more than just funny, and I'm glad to have had the opportunity to chat with her again. As a little kid, um, I was always the cutest in the room. I was really small, so um, people just love like having me on their lap, um, hanging out with me. I was that kid in camp who like hung out with like the older counselors. That was just me. How old were you and like, like how old were you and how old were they? Um, I think I was like 12 and they were like 18, 19, 20. I'm actually very impressed that they were chilled with you being around. Yeah, they, they enjoyed it. I don't, I don't know why, but the, uh, the adults just liked me. They, I think they were entertained by me. I hear that. So you've always been entertaining as you say? Oh yes. Yeah. When... You know, when when someone is like known for being funny, a lot of times people will subscribe to them as just being like they're just that one thing. Right. They're just funny. Um, You and I actually know each other. Um, You know, we were in school together and and everything. And uh, you're you're a lot more than just funny. Um, I would love if you could tell me a little bit more about, you know, how you grew up, what what your life was like there and, you know, and how all of that led to what you do now. Okay, so um, I grew up in a pretty challenging childhood. Um, My parents were divorced when I was five, um, and my mom got remarried. So just a lot of moving around. I moved actually 18 times, so that's pretty much a record. And one of the places I lived in was for four years. So (laughs) you can understand, sometimes I moved twice in a year. So I moved around a lot, um, had step-siblings sometimes, um, and had a very challenging childhood. So there were two things I always turned to. Um, number one was humor. And then number two was, were my grades. I really, 
I liked being successful in school. It made me feel good about myself. It helped me feel important. Um, and also I feel like I was more so validated with my like intelligence, like my grades versus my humor. What do you mean by that? I don't think I thought I was a funny person until, I don't know, like what, like five years ago. Like I, I thought like I, I knew I, when I would hang out with my friends, they would always laugh all the time. And I knew I would say funny things, but I didn't know like I could be like, like I didn't know I could make like a funny meme and other people would enjoy it. I thought I was just funny, like my personality. See, it's funny because when <laughs> I mean, we're going to end up saying funny a hundred times in this interview, but like, it's, it's interesting when you say that, like that you just thought of funny as like your personality, but not like it's something that you do because a lot of people who want to be comedians, some of them don't have that like innate personality of just being funny to be around. And a lot of people would really appreciate having that. And that it sounds like that was not something that you really pinpointed in yourself. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I went to camp for six years. Shout out to Camp Shira. It is, does not exist anymore. It burnt down. Um, and yeah, like they always put me in the skit and I would always be the, you know, the camper who'd make all the jokes. Um, and, you know, in school, I'd make, I try to make jokes all the time. I think I would just make like jokes just to like make light of a situation. Um, that's more so what I used humor for, like to make light of it, um, to make other people laugh. But um, it wasn't like really, again, it wasn't like a huge part of me until few years ago like I wasn't known as like somebody who makes memes somebody my friends knew I was funny and that was pretty much it what changed uh what changed well well here's what it was in seminary actually um I started making memes that was like the first time I made memes um, I'm gonna stop you for a I second like there is a there is a not insignificant portion of listeners of this podcast who are of the older variety, let's say. So can you tell everybody what a what a meme is? Oh, sure. Meme, where people call it Mimi as a joke. Um, a meme is basically you take a picture or like a sketch and you put a caption to it. Um, so I'm trying to think of like my favorite meme. It'll show like, let's say a face of like a frustrated toddler and your meme could be um, when somebody eats my favorite dessert. Like that would be the caption and it shows like a frustrated toddler crying. That would be an example of a meme. That's how right. I usually explain it to people because not everyone knows what it is. That's a very good way to explain it. The way that I generally explain it to, um, like the, I remember the way that I explained it to my grandparent, to my grandmother was it's a, it's an internet cartoon. Like the same way that there would be like New Yorker cartoons it's New Yorker cartoons just online. So instead of having something drawn with the caption, it's a photo. And a caption and what will usually happen is that we'll have like the same photo that gets captioned in a couple of different ways and that ends up kind of circulating like um oh bernie sanders at the inauguration right when he's sitting in his with his coat and his oh yeah in that folding chair looking so miserable that ended up you know like all, all the uh the captions on that wilbur one is, it's just like you know when the chazan goes too long or, or you know things like that like yeah. that all all those the same types of um grumpy things that would make you grumpy that gets yeah. put as the caption so you were saying a couple years ago you started making memes yeah I would take pictures of like random people in my seminary um seminary if anyone does not know it's a year abroad in Israel it's basically another year of high school but you pay more money for it and you have more freedom and you don't live at home <laughs> so um not that's how it description. <laughs> It's 13th year. Let's be realistic. Now the boys go to what it's called yeshiva, 
Um, and they have like 15th year these days. But um, when I was there, I went for the 13th year. Um, anyway, so that year, I don't know how it happened, but um, they're one of my best memes ever. So when I was in Israel that year, that's when the dab became a thing. Um, I don't know. The dab is like a, a hand move. The dance I move? I can't even explain that. Yeah, the dab. This, uh, and, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's when you smack like, yourself in the face, basically. Yeah. So we had a rabbi who was teaching us the laws of Shabbat, Sabbath. And um, he was explaining, like, how do you put, like, like, rash cream on a baby? And he said to dab. So um, I made a meme, like, like, his name was Rabbi Horowitz. I said, Rabbi Horowitz, my baby has a rash. What should I do? And then it shows on the bottom part of the picture, dab, like the people doing the dab. And that was really funny. And I think that's what kickstarted like my meme career in, in Israel, in seminary. And I made a chat and I would just, you know, people would say, take a picture of me and caption it, like make a meme out of me. Um, and that's, that's really how I started it. I did that for like a year. Um, and then I, I didn't really make memes after that for a couple years until February of 2020. That was like my first meme. So in the interim, right? So you said it was a couple of years from when you were in Israel. What what did you do in the interim? Like, were you just in college hanging around chilling? Yeah, I was in college. I was kind of figuring out like, you know, how religious I wanted to be, um, you know, dating, of course, um, you know, socializing with friends, going to friends' weddings. There was just a lot going on. It was like me kind of figuring out like my adult life. Um I also did a couple other stuff, which I'm not going to mention on this podcast. Um, I, I have like a lot of side hustles. I'm also a video editor. I'm also really good at like doing research. I call myself a social media detective. So I had to do some of that work for other people. I did a couple projects. Um, so I didn't really have time for like a social media side hustle. I was like too busy with college and everything else. When you, you mentioned that you were trying to figure out how religious you wanted to be while also dating. That seems to me like it would be two very difficult things to do at the same time. Well, yeah, the more you date, the more you realize like what kind of guy would be good for you. And also I think like the more years pass between like seminary, the the more you kind of figure out what, what you want to be and some of the inspiration fades away. Um, and yeah, I was kind of navigating that. I think I really figured out where I wanted to be like religiously um, in I would say like 2019. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that there's definitely a, a, a correlation between when people get married and how outwardly religious they end up being. Not necessarily, I'm I'm like not judging anyone's connection to God. I think that there's so many amazing ways that you can do that. Even if, you know, someone might look at you and uh, presume a level of connection based on how somebody dresses or what type of community they're a part of or anything like that. Ignoring ignoring like the real kishkas of it, you know, ignoring like the real depth that's there for a second. Definite, I think that we can definitely see that people who get married younger, you know, closer to when they left seminary, closer to when they, they left high school, certainly seem to be more outwardly religious, um, which kind of makes sense if you think about it, right? Because when you're in high school in, in Israel, they're like, they're preaching a certain way of looking and a certain way of being. Yeah. And if you subscribe to it, and part of that certain way of looking and being is getting married young. And like, if yep. that timeline kind of works out for you, then 
great. And and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with looking a certain way or getting married young. I know plenty of people who are very happy and got married very young. It's it's interesting how like when I think that what ends up happening is especially as you get further removed from that high school and seminary experience, you end up finding you end up solidifying what is important to you. Not what not what should be important to you, but what is actually important to you. And then you can integrate that into your life, whether that's with or without a partner is not really up to you. It's just how the cards, you know, how how the chips yeah. fall, as they say. Yeah, I think you leave the bubble and you kind of I personally, I saw the world and it's like bigger picture. I opened my eyes and I realized like there was an entire world out there besides for Orthodox Judaism. And um I think that's what made me like change like what I was looking for and what kind of like religious lifestyle I wanted to live. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not that much different than I was in seminary. I'm a little bit different, but pretty much the same. It wasn't my like outward appearance that changed. It was my, um, my like hashkafa, which I don't know how to explain that in English. I think it literally I think translates like, to philosophy. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, uh, you can also yeah, translate philosophy. it to like values right? To like the types of yeah. the types of things. Because the truth is, is that when you look at different sects of Judaism, everybody values something. Now, some people value the, you can't value everything equally because there's too many things, right? You have to, the nature of life is that we need to prioritize. And like the old jokes that everybody makes are that like um, Hasidic sects don't prioritize um, timing, right? Like there are certain times by which you um, you are supposed to pray and finish certain parts of prayers and things like that. I'm not super well-versed in that area, but like if you come from a litvish or a not Hasidic background, it's like you have to be done by this time and you have to finish eating the afikomen by whatever that time is. And Hasidish mm -hmm. sects tend to emphasize the connection and the finding meaning in the words and um, and the the poetry of it all and if it means that in order to concentrate you don't end up finishing by the time that you were supposed to finish that's okay and the litfish people are like and if it means that you have to concentrate a little bit less to finish by the time that you need to finish that's okay and it's just a matter of what you you know like you said like what hashkafa you're prioritizing what values you are subscribing to and and yeah. i think that for the most part everyone goes through some process of that of figuring out what what's important to them I think it is easier to do that when you're single, though, because if once you, you know, once you marry someone, the two of you together have committed to a certain values. And then, like, I mean, listen, we do know that there are couples who have different levels of religiosity between them, but it's very difficult to make something like that work. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. grew up in a very mixed household. My my father's a Balchuva. Um, He, like, literally, my family has not been, my my grandmother's side, at least, my father's side, they have not been religious since like the 1800s. And then oh, wow. my grandfather's side, they have not been religious since like they left Kiev in the 1900s. And then my father comes in and my father is really, really smart. And logically he put the two together. He was in Hebrew school and like reform Hebrew school. And he realized, why are we reading this stuff and not following it? Um, and then in college, he became Orthodox. Um, my mother grew up conservative and then she kind of became more Orthodox. She became very close to the Chabad of Pittsburgh and um, with all the Rebbitsons, and then she kind of became Orthodox. Um, so yeah, I grew up I grew up in a home that um, of Bali Chuva, and also 90% of my family isn't even Orthodox. So it was, it was kind of hard to like navigate that mix, but I think like after like a few years out of seminary, I really figured it out, and thank God I have a very good relationship with, with most of my family.
that's fantastic. That's great to hear. So you said that you started posting these memes in February of 2020. What what could have possibly happened in February of 2020 to drastically change your life, Avital? Um, oh, good question. Uh, I think I know what happened. So I think it was 2019. I was taking a class in college um, called like social media marketing. And we were forced to do like a not forced, but they, they made us do a YouTube channel. And um, I was like channeling my video editing skills. And I did a YouTube channel. And at the time, I had a public Instagram account, but not a meme one, kind of like a lifestyle account. Um, and I was working on that for the class. Um, and after that semester was over, I was still working on the social media account but um I kind of like stopped really doing YouTube because it required a lot of work and I just wasn't interested in it so I kind of just focused on the lifestyle account um and I don't really know when exactly it happened but a few months in um I like stopped really doing the lifestyle account I, I kind of made my account private and I just decided like I want to make a meme account like there aren't so many meme accounts which post like completely clean content a political content um, most of them like will use curse words and like they'll do like, you know, president memes and I'm not interested in that. So I wanted to, I wanted to try it. I saw there was a niche and I went for it. And then what happened? Um, and then I was kind of lazy in the beginning. Um, I still had my lifestyle accounts. So I was still posting on there. Um, during COVID though, I had a lot of time. So I was making memes and posting them, but I was still trying to figure out like the social media or like Instagram world, like what does well, what does not do well at the time. Like I wasn't, I didn't have any other social media account. It was just Instagram. I didn't post on my WhatsApp status, like nothing. Um, and then what happened was actually I graduated from college and I had a lot of time and I moved to my own apartment and um, I just decided to go like all in and I worked really hard. I kept, I made my other account private. I like, did not like post on that much anymore. And um, I just worked really hard making a ton of memes and eventually some of them went viral. Okay, so I'd love to hear more about what are the, I, I love this idea of doing things that are clean and especially apolitical. Cause I think that we get so fatigued from like the constant political, just the, the hamster wheel of it all, the rabbit wheel of it all. And so many of us don't like watching the news and don't want to be reminded of, you know, anything terrible happening and politics is kind of generally terrible. So we, so, you know, we, we try to avoid that. And I, and I love this idea of keeping it very neutral in that way. What have you found are the kind of topics that people really relate to, you know, the types of things that, you know, do very well? Um, I do a lot of dating memes. I don't know what's going to happen when I get married because I'm going to have to shift that. But I give you permission to still dating do dating memes. memes as a married person. <laughs> <laughs> those those do very well. People also like memes about like food and they love memes about like Jewish culture. Um, I Yeah, my memes were all Jewish memes, by the way. I actually had dabbled in regular memes, but they just didn't do well. Like I had to stick to the Jewish memes. But yeah, the, definitely the dating ones are probably my best. And then the Jewish culture memes. That's so fun. Like so Jewish what... people have like IBS, Jewish people are lactose intolerant, you know, Jewish people are yentas. A yenta is, I think everyone knows what that is actually, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to go about person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, Jewish people. I'm feeling a little bit attacked because are... I am lactose intolerant and I am a yenta. So I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And also I have this like trick 
which it's kind of cheating, but not really. So the way I find, the way I can figure out if a meme will do well, I research like popular memes and I have this app called Mematic. It's really great. It's like 30 something dollars a year and it'll show you like new popular meme templates. So I, I look at what's trending on like regular like meme land and then I kind of make it Jewish and those usually do very well. Oh, that's actually, that's a very clever way to go about doing it. It's like, it's very similar to how a lot of brands approach fashion design. It's like looking at wider trends and then thinking about how they can do it more covered and places like that. Mm-hmm. So with this, like, especially, you know, like you said, the topics that you cover, like dating, food, Jewish culture, those types of things. Like we said before, you are currently dating. Has Has the fact that you are kind of like it's kind of like how everybody asks taylor swift if she's going to write a song about the bad boyfriend like well who's she with now the the football player like well you know we can't wait for the Travis, football play- is that his name? i think so i don't like taylor swift i'm like one of those i don't like her i don't think she's anything special so i don't really know much about her i literally don't even know how to respond to that <laughs> i'm like i like her old music i don't i don't understand why she, so what's so that doesn't mean you her. don't like her that just means you only like her old music I was actually, okay, believe it or person. not, I just had a she's very detailed crazy. conversation with someone about Taylor Swift. And we were going through, Taylor Swift has one terrible album. It's called Reputation. I will be on record as saying that Reputation is awful. But the good albums are very, very good. Now I'm tempted to send you Spotify playlists, but I will not do that. I will not be a okay, militant Swiftie. But <laughs> I like the oldies. I don't like the new songs. I like her Red album. I like um, the, like you know, Shake It Off album. I don't know which one that's That's in, 1989. Those songs are My good. My favorite. I like her original, like her, like, I you like the country ones. My sister's four years older than I am. Yeah, my sister's four years older than I. So she introduced me to, to what is it, Teardrops of My Guitar? Is that Teardrops of My Guitar. You're probably thinking of mine. You're thinking of, um, yeah. of like, yeah, our those songs. Those are the first songs I knew about her. So I like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. I don't like the new stuff. The new, I, I, I don't know. Okay. Well, again, we'll circle back or we won't circle back for the sake of our relationship. But either way, my point being the same way that everyone is like, oh, you know, we're all waiting for the Travis Kelsey breakup songs. Where, like, do you find that the fact that you are sharing dating life type things makes people hesitant to date you? Oh, that's a good one. So um, I actually remember a few years ago, this was before I had my meme account. And I was doing my other account where I also spoke about like controversial topics, but I only had like 300 followers. Um, this person, like a mentor of mine, um, approached me and she said, you know, a lot of guys reject- rejected you because of what you post. And um, my response was, you know, that's too bad because I know I'm doing the right thing. I'm being a voice for the underdogs and for those who are usually not heard and I'm not going to stop. And um, to me, like, if a guy does not like my memes, if he doesn't like what I post and everything I do is like for the good of others, then clearly he's a red flag. And every single guy who did not appreciate my memes, they have all been red flags. So. I guess I'm right. <laughs> You're saying like in other ways, not just in that one area. Yeah, they've all been terrible. They literally every every date where a guy did not appreciate what I do has never ended well. Yeah, I totally hear that. That's like um one of the things that I got so much flack for when I was dating was my job because my my business predates my marriage. I was like while I was dating, I was starting up my company and people would tell me all the time, like, listen, nobody's gonna want to date a girl with her own business. It's just it's too intimidating. That's what I got all the time. You're so intimidating you're so put together and I was like maybe but not for the right person and like oh it was nuts like at one point one shotgun one matchmaker was like so I'm gonna tell him you're a teacher and I was like but but I'm not 
And I was like, okay. I was like, you can tell him whatever you want to tell him. I'm going to tell him that you lied and you will look like an idiot. And then she didn't set me up, um, unsurprisingly. But it's it's that same kind of like this idea of how we need to change ourselves to be worthy of of somebody going out with us when in reality that's just an exercise in futility because we want to you want to be this now is the time to to be the most yourself because you want to find someone who is compatible with that version of you you know with the most you version of you I agree 100%. I always, I, when I go on dates, I'm always myself. Obviously I'm a little more quiet because I can come across as like a lot or intense. So I try to like keep things light, even though for some reason guys like to keep things not light. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm unapologetic, unapologetically me. This is who I am. You don't like it, then too bad, but I'm not going to be fake because why would I pretend to be somebody I'm not if I'm going to be in a relationship with this person? You don't want to start off your marriage on lies. Right. And also you'll just end up unhappy. It's just, yeah. that's just a, a recipe for everyone to be miserable. And I also believe like you can cultivate your own happiness without being married. Obviously, like I would love to be married and I want that companionship, but this is where I am in life. This is where God put me. So I need to make my life as good as it can be where I am. I need to find my own happiness with situations that I can't control. And that's right. been my attitude for a long time. For context, can you tell, do you mind telling people how old you are? I'm 25. I feel like I'm 25 and a half at this point. Um, oh yeah, I am. I'm 25. Um, I'm young. I'm not old. <laughs> I I would agree with that. It's, you know, you, you, you mentioned this idea of cultivating your own happiness and it's so crazy because 25 is not old. It is not old by any measure. And if you're listening to this and you are outside of the Orthodox community, this sounds insane. We, we acknowledge that. Um, and if and and I'm and in every other aspect of your life, right? Like you're at the beginning stages of your career. You're you know you're only a couple of a couple of years out of college. Like all of that is, you're you're right now in your prime so much, and yet you are at that age where some people will like start whispering, "Oh my God, she's 25," which again is ludicrous. But I'm curious what cultivating your own happiness has looked like for you in this in-between stage of your life? Um, so I try to put myself in situations where I'm going to succeed. So um, I boarded with a family friend for a few years while I was in college. And then when I got a full-time job, I moved to the city. I moved to like more of a singles community. I was very miserable there. I hated it there. I, I, you know, I stuck it out for a year. And then I decided like, what can I do now? I'm 24 years old. Um, what's the next step? I didn't like the city. So where do I go? And I'm like, you know what, why don't I just go back to where I'm from? So I moved back to the five towns. It took me three months to find an apartment. It was, it was crazy. And I knew going in, like, it was not going to be easy. I didn't have a car yet. Um, uh, but I knew I had friends who would support me and I knew I was comfortable in this area and I was going to try it, whether it would work or not. And thank God I've been here for, um, over a year and I have a car now. So that was very exciting. And yeah, I, I surround myself with people who make me happy. Um, I, when, when it comes to like Yontev, Yontov, the Chagim, um, I know a lot of people will just stay home and, you know, they'll feel sorry for themselves. For me, like going home isn't really much of an option. So I always try to spend the holidays with my family um, in Florida and I go there and I cultivate 
that kind of holiday I want without like people staring at me. Um, if I don't want to be in shul all day for Yom Kippur, I don't go. I only go for part of it. Um, yeah, if, that's basically what I try to do. I, I, I'm my own person. I'm happy for myself. Um, I'm very close to my friends who even have a few kids. But um, just because this is what I tell all my friends all the time and a lot of people. From society, the religious society tells us that what you have to do in life is after you go back from Israel or you, you work, you get married, you have children, and your children have children and that, and that and you have money, whatever, that is what considers you to be successful. But that's may not what God wants for you. That you know, it may not work out for everybody. You're you're successful in your own way. Having being married and having kids is not an accomplishment, it's a goal. So while I may want that, I have to make the most of my life now. And, you know, being alive is the most important thing ever. I'm so grateful that I'm alive for 25 years and I have so much good in my life. And I just, I focus on that versus focus on focusing on the one thing that I'm not in control of. That idea of being married and having kids is not an accomplishment. It's a goal is like that, uh, that clicks something in my head. Because one of the things that, listen, I got married at 22. So in a lot of ways I should shut up. Um, but I will say that one of, I was in a lot of ways, I was more frustrated at how I was treated single after I got married than in it. Because there was such a shift in how people spoke to me and how people really in how they trusted my word, in how they took me seriously, in how they, just in how they treated me. Like I was not seen as an adult until I had a ring on my finger, which pissed me off so bad because I wasn't saying anything different than what I had said before. And like, and again, I was starting up my company. I was starting up my business. I was selling to people and I needed, I needed people to be taking me seriously to get my product in stores and everything. And when I was selling my first collection, my grandmother only half jokingly said, I'll give you my ring, you know, take, take one of your sister's wigs. I'll give you my ring, go sell, like pretend to be married and, 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 and you'll probably do better. And I didn't do it, but now I'm, I, I should have, like, I would have done better in that first season. There's no question in my head um, that that's what would have happened. But this, you know, when you're, when you're in a situation where you're not hitting that goal um you know like you said when it's out of your control you know obviously you're dating you're meeting people you can but it you know it takes sometimes it takes a while to find the right one there's a lot of a lemons first what what do you do to stay positive during that time do you think it's important to stay positive how do you how do you approach that on a day to day um i don't think you you can't ignore the the negative feelings like you you're allowed to acknowledge like I am upset. I am disappointed. I'm sad that I'm not married and it's hard being alone. Like, you know, I live alone. And do I wish I had a husband I come home to who will help me do the dishes or help me cook dinner or just be there for me? Of course, but I have to be my own person and I have to be strong for myself. So, you know, you can acknowledge that it's hard. You can acknowledge that, but you also have to continue to live because life is the biggest gift ever. We have we can find happiness in so many things. You know, I used to be an avid caffeine drinker. I used to drink like double shot espresso in the morning, another latte in the afternoon. I loved caffeine. And then one day I just wasn't able to have it anymore. I couldn't have caffeine anymore. And, you know, it was very sad. And let me tell you, I miss those four shot espresso lattes. And 
had I known how like how like amazing they were, I would have really appreciated it back then. And now I can't have it, and that's okay. But I'm so appreciative for like what I what I do have. Um, and I, you have to make the most of what you do have. You have to um, live for now. Like you know, I had family members who asked me like, why do you why do you go to Florida all the time? It's so expensive. Like why do you keep spending two hundred dollars? And I I kept explaining to them like. This is how I cultivate my happiness. So if I have to spend a thousand dollars a year on plane tickets, I'm going to do that because that ensures that I am happy. I love that. That's you know that's how everyone likes to talk about you know self care or prioritizing yourself and and all of that. That's that's a really great way of of looking at it. Yeah. Um, you also sorry. You also have to remove yourself from any negative situation. If you have um, if you like or have a bunch of married friends and you can't handle being around them because they're married. A, you have to figure out how you can handle them. Or B, maybe you need to surround yourself with other people. Maybe if you hang out with them, you should make an announcement. Guys, we can't talk about um, kids. We should not talk about marriage. Um, set boundaries mm -hmm. for yourself. But you, you're you in control of your life and nobody else is. So if you want to be happy, you have to put yourself in situations that will make you happy. I love that. Like taking charge of if you can identify a specific thing that makes you unhappy, then just don't interact with that thing. I'm very much into that. I'm very into removing myself from situations. Every time I remove myself from a situation that made me unhappy, I was, I felt like a huge, like weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like you made the right move. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, um, I didn't mention this, but, um, my mom got remarried when I was in ninth grade and I boarded in high school and I lived by many families and some of the families were not a good place for me. And, um, you know, for like a month, I like, for two months, I was miserable and I stayed there. And finally, one day, I had a friend who said like, Avital, this is enough. You need to get out. You need to move. And I did. And literally the first day at my new house, I was a completely different person. And um, it was very hard. I went through that. But what I did was I took that courage where I was able to get out of the situation and I applied it um, to a lot of things. Um, I actually did not mention this, but um, I did try going to Shanabet in my seminary and I actually left early because I was very unhappy there. And I told myself like, I am not happy, I am leaving. This is not good for me. I'm not gonna allow myself to be miserable. I'm not going to allow myself to feel sorry and feel pity, I'm leaving and I did. And um, I actually I applied that many times when I moved out of the city, um, when I finally got a car. You just, you have to remove yourself and you'll be so much happier. Yeah, I love that proactive approach to your own happiness. You you use humor to cover a lot of like like funny things, and you are very funny. But also, you know, you touch on a lot of important things. Also, why do you think that injecting humor into those types of of topics is like? Why is that something that you see as valuable? Um, because I think it's it's almost easier to digest when it's funny. Like it's, it's so, it's so, it's funny cause it's true. I just did a video actually on Monday where, um, I, I was, a, it was a sarcastic video. It was five things I love about being single and it listed I like, so I sweet. love being called old and I love sitting at the kid's table. And, you know, obviously it was funny, but the message was, you know, these, this is insane and we need to stop this. So I kind of like, I feel like a cryptic message in there when I make some of my humor. Right. Like, uh, making it easier. And, for and then people, people will laugh. Yeah, people will laugh and then they'll be like, oh, this is not right. We should not do this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she has a point. Yeah, but I, I don't just do humor. Um, Do you know I'm on Twitter? Are you aware of that? I, I am not on Twitter. I avoid Twitter. 
on a on a i am i am professional <laughs> at avoiding twitter did you try threads i gotta know if you tried threads it was a waste i knew it wouldn't i knew it would fail it, it was i the, it's not user friendly it's ugly um and it, it, I, twitter twitter's been around for so long it's dominating like threads is not offering something new like tiktok offered something new that's why it succeeded threads did not it was just a copy of twitter right what i thought was so fascinating about threads was that it was so clearly knock off Twitter. I did try threads for like two days. Here's here's my uh, unsolicited thoughts on threads. Um, I found what I really liked about threads was that you weren't starting from zero. You can, you were, you, you were able to like link your Instagram account so that as long as like the, if someone who followed you just joined threads then they were automatically following you on threads and also on Instagram, which I thought was really nice because I pushed off joining TikTok for so long because the thought, like, I know what it takes to build up a page like this. I've done it. And uh, I mean, a girl only has so much energy. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, I the same way I kept, I kept praying that they would ban TikTok. Because if they would just ban it, then I wouldn't have to learn it. And I wouldn't have to do it. And I was like, I was waiting for Congress to come through for me on that one. Still waiting. I've since joined TikTok and posted there. And, you know, I, 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 I try to post there somewhat regularly. But, um. Yeah, no, I I've quite consciously avoided Twitter um, for honestly, because I, there are certain platforms that are just not as friendly to Jews. And Twitter, I think, is one of them. That was also a big part of why I pushed off um, joining TikTok, because I had seen so many stories of people who were like very openly Jewish on TikTok and then being told to like go burn in an oven. And I was not interested in exposing myself to that. Um, so that was also part of it. And then enough of my friends were like, get over yourself, just do it. That I got over myself and I just did it. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, what has your, um, you know, what what were you going to say about Twitter before I started uh, ranting oh, about threats? Yeah, so Twitter, I have my, sorry, Twitter, I have my most, by the way, when you said about TikTok that you were head, you wanted to be banned, let me tell you, I was hesitant, hesitant to join TikTok. I joined in like 2021 and it has brought so much happiness to my life. Like, wow. Has my it really? My life is 10 times better because of TikTok. Yes, I literally laugh so much. It is instant happiness. It has made my day so many times. No regrets. I love it. I hope it never gets banned. It is the best app out there. See, because enough people feel like you do, that's why it will never get banned. Can you imagine if like some old Congress people tried to get rid of TikTok? Like all of the all of the Gen Z people would lose their collective brains. It's, it's just people are so creative and so funny. And it's like, and it's, I like that. It's like, I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV. So it's great. I get to go on. See, that's the difference. I am old. I am old and I watch television. <laughs> that's the difference. I, you know. I watch, I watch movies on TikTok. It's the best. <laughs> and the comment section is great. TikTok is a new YouTube. The comments are the best part. They literally, they have movies on TikTok and people will comment like, get part nine, chop, chop movie boy. Like we want the next part. Um, wow, that's so TikTok great. is the new that's so funny because when you say TikTok is the new YouTube, so my brother and I are three years apart. And there is a huge difference in the way I'm 28, uh, I might be 29 by the time this airs, but whatever. I'm in my my upper 20s. And there is a huge difference in the way that I like consume media and the way that my brother, who is only three years younger than I am, consumes media because he is like he is YouTube native. If he wants to, his shows that he watches are not shows, they're YouTube channels, which I guess is technically a show. But like when I'm thinking of like, oh, there's a show I want to watch. Now I'm very advanced. It's on a streaming app, not on cable. But like I, like I know cable shows and 
you know, and I'll watch on apps and Hulu and Netflix and Paramount and HBO and all the things. Mm-hmm. And when you, what you just said that, you know, TikTok is the new YouTube, it's the next level after that. Like the same way that my brother watches YouTube, the same way that I watch TV, you know, people who are in the age bracket below him watch TikTok the way that he watches YouTube. And you're totally right. It is like, it is a fun form of entertainment. I think I'm just old. Yeah. I used to be a YouTube gal. I'm not so much anymore. I, I still watch it occasionally, but I would just rather watch like a streaming thing or honestly, like I spend almost two hours a day working on my social media. Um, and I'm on TikTok, like I'm consuming content, but I'm also um, producing content at the same time. It's like, right. give me inspiration. So I feel yeah, like it's, 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 very it's like, tricky. justified to be on TikTok for an hour. Right. Yeah. It's, so, it's that tricky in between. Yeah. I'm in the same kind of boat as you. Cause I'll very often, like I'll watch reels because I'm always Instagram first and my social strategy, because this just turns into a social media masterclass. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm always Instagram first because that's where the majority of my customers are. That's also where I think that yes, there are Orthodox women on TikTok, but the Orthodox women on TikTok are not shopping. Orthodox women on Instagram treat it like a catalog. They are they're they're very consumer focused there and you know i have dresses to sell and bills to pay and that's what i do so the the biggest return on investment for me is definitely on instagram and if people find me through tiktok then great um but yeah i have that same thing where like i'll be looking through reels and it's you know quote unquote research and then you turn around and it's been an hour mm-hmm. of watching furniture flip videos <laughs> and not much and and not much research has been done let's put it that way um, I want to just circle back to Twitter, please, um, if you don't mind. Um, so we like kind of touched upon it. That's my biggest audience. I have almost 10,000 followers. So cool. It's very exciting. I worked very hard on that. Um, I actually got into Twitter because I had a coworker who was on Twitter and he was like, I was only on Instagram at the time. And he was telling me about there's Twitter. There's like a lot of Jews on Twitter. You know, you should get on it. And, um, I got on it and soon enough I surpassed his follower count and, <laughs> um, yeah, now I really enjoy it. And you mentioned that on threads or on TikTok, there's a lot of, you know, people who hate Jews. What's interesting is most of the hate I get on Twitter are from actual Jews. Oh, They're interesting. Usually Jews who are more religious than I am, who don't appreciate that I'm open-minded and that I accept all kinds of Jews. And um, that's where almost all my hate comes from. I have about 100 people blocked and almost all of them are like Orthodox Jews. <laughs> that's so interesting. Um, oh, another Avital, actually. Um Avital Chizik Goldschmidt actually shared something similar on this show also that um, she had a funny name for them. She called them the Orthobros, like this, <laughs> like this, like from man section of Twitter that just, you know, would give her a lot of flack. Um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting that's also part of why I don't bother with Twitter is because it's I feel like it is more male heavy. No. Oh, yes, it's male dominated, which is why there is so much space for women but you have to get in on it. You have to kind of figure out the language and what works. Um, also, like, I I have literally, I have, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and each audience is so different. So I really have to go on to there, like, a different attitude. Like, on Twitter, I'm more yeshivish. Like, I post more, like, Jewishy content mm-hmm. that I know, like, more, like, Orthodox Jews will relate to. Whereas on Instagram, I try to, like, be diverse, and I try to post things that, like, Orthodox or non-Orthodox people will, will laugh at. Um, but Twitter can be very intense. There's a lot of bullies on there. You have to have thick skin, but also like there's so much reach on Twitter. Like these congressmen are on Twitter and these like Jewish celebrities and like they see my content. Um, and you can, you really can reach a huge audience and you can really can make such a difference, which is why I, I really stay on Twitter. 
and I keep posting. So you make three different sets of content for Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Yeah. Some of the tweets go onto Instagram, um, but also on Instagram, I do stories. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. I'm managing three different things. TikTok um, videos will go onto Instagram sometimes. So TikTok, okay. I'm honestly the least active on. Um, I, I don't, most Jewish TikTok accounts that work are the, um, either they like post like humor with like curse words in it or they mm-hmm. post educational videos and I'm not so into that. So I don't really have like a, like a niche on TikTok, but in, but, um, yeah. So I focus mostly on my Instagram and my Twitter. Yeah. It's funny when you, when you say that about TikTok, the, the three, well, no, I can think of four people right now who are Orthodox and on TikTok. Mary Zagwe comes to mind, Melinda Strauss, Alyssa Goldwater, mm-hmm. and Ahuva Gottdiener, Homegrown Kosher. And almost all of them take a like, I'm an Orthodox Jew, this is what my life is like approach to it. Yeah. Which uh, honestly is not something that I could ever do. I just, I yeah. don't, uh, it, for, it makes me deeply uncomfortable. First of all, like just being public is not something that I am, okay with in a lot of ways which is why I don't share you know I talk exclusively about business stuff it's funny because people think I share so much because I talk about body image which is deeply personal but I've like desensitized that area of my life and pretty much everything else is under lock and key and the idea of just being like I'm an orthodox Jew ask me your questions that brings up like intense generational trauma for me and I like that that makes me very nervous but yeah it's an interesting way to to kind of think about something. I can't believe I'm saying this, but our time has totally flown by. If somebody wants to <laughs> learn more about you, where can they go? Um, well, they can go onto Twitter and learn a lot about me there. You can go onto Instagram. I have a bunch of highlights saved with like questions that people have asked me, a little bit of information about me. Um, that's what I would recommend. I love that. I'm going to put all those in and the show also, notes. And oh, also, I forgot to mention. Oh, Please. Sorry. Forgot to mention, I also have, um, I also w- w- was featured in a couple articles. Um, so you can kind of, if you Google, if you Google the Jewish meme queen, um, some of them will come up and you could read, oh. you could read about some of my opinions. I love that. So I'm going to put all of those in the show notes so that they are easily accessible. Uh, the last thing that I'd love for you to leave us with is where do you think you've made the most impact? On social media, you're saying? Wherever in your life. I would say on my family. Um my goal was to really show my my family who isn't religious um, that Orthodox Jews can be open-minded, they can be loving, and we can all, all get along. And I've been working really hard on that for the past few years. Um, and I, I can re- honestly say, like, I get along with almost all my family, and I think I'm achieving my goal. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Avital. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Avital, her links are in the show notes. On last week's episode, I spoke to Macy Kaplan and Jen Simonic of the Loose Ends Project about completing the projects left behind by those we love. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 28 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 20 people listed by Aurora Gnut as their recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getororg slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzquitz. Catch me on all the socials at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.